When I say the words workplace wellness program, what comes to mind about your own organization or previous organizations that you've worked at? Is your company nailing it? Would you say that your workplace instills a culture of healthy practices and living? Despite a lot of awareness and good intentions that so many corporate wellness programs are a bit of a fizzer. And my guest here today is setting out to change all of that. Tom Bosner is the co-founder of Well Workplaces and owner of Pinnacle Health Group Australia. And today, we're going to cover the value of well-being in the workplace, the return of investment on mental health programs in a work setting, what workplace wellness looks like nowadays in an increasingly remote workforce setting, and the future trends of workplace health. It's that time again, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Tom Bosner. He's the co-founder of Well Workplaces and owner of Pinnacle Health Group Australia. He's a former physiotherapist turned health business owner and an industry leader of workplace wellbeing with a vision for a world where workplaces lead and create healthier communities. Over the past decade, Tom has established a market-leading on-site wellness centre model of care for innovative companies such as ANZ, EY, Westpac and more. With growing interest and corporate demand, Tom and his team have helped establish a unique approach to wellbeing that helps progressive organisations thrive. He's also the host of the podcast Well Workplaces, which you can get on any good podcast player. Hey Tom, how are you going? Hi Peter, thanks for the great intro mate. Yeah, no worries, no worries. It's all your stuff, I just said words around it. Keen to learn a bit more about yourself and about what you're doing and everything around workplace health. So it's going to be an interesting topic to delve into. Let's set the scene firstly, mate. Tom Bosner, who are you? That's a really big question, mate, but I'll keep it really simple. So I'm a physio by trade, by background. So I'm based in Melbourne. And for the last decade, as you said in your intro, I've been working in the corporate wellness space. It's a really specific niche in the health area. And I've had an interesting journey over that decade that got me in there. And in the last two years, I've been focused on a brand called Well Workplaces, which is predominantly focused on the SME businesses and focusing specifically on wellness programs for small to medium enterprises who really need to make healthy changes in their workplace. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so Well Workplaces, it sounds like a relatively new thing that you've set up. So tell us a bit more about it. Like what is it, who's it for and what problems it solves? Yeah, Well Workplaces, well, the main purpose of it is to inspire healthy changes in the workplace. And that's also the case for Pinnacle Health Group. To differentiate between the two, Pinnacle Health Group is a corporate wellness center business model. And that's been the very first corporate wellness center was set up with ANZ back in 2010. And over a 10 year period, we developed that business by setting up convenient corporate wellness centers in these on-site locations. Um, and they're best described as a cross between a health center and a day spa. And so that model is really about corporate clients coming down to see us in those centers. Well Workplaces in contrast is all about wellness programs and the Well Workplaces business really serves small to medium-sized enterprises, so businesses that ranging from as small as 50 people up to 1,000 people. And the reason we're focusing on that is because SMEs often feel like the investment into wellness programs is quite expensive and hard. And so what we've set out to do is to simplify the wellness programs and target things like physical, social, and mental health 
for SMEs? You know, I've been in a lot of those settings where the SME, small to medium enterprise, businesses, 50-something staff, maybe a little bit less, but, you know, around that kind of point where you've got a few people in the team, but you're so busy, like the last thing that a manager would want to do is then distract staff to then focus on other things. Is that kind of a common theme that you're, you know, or a barrier that you come across? Yeah, well, you've actually nailed it there. It's often in the SME space compared to the large organisations we work with, like, say, ANZ Westpac and EY. Those organisations have like up to five or 10 people that are predominantly their role is health and wellbeing for their huge organisation. And working with them is fantastic because you get an insight into how it operates. But the negative of that is that to get anything moving in those big organisations relating to wellbeing, any new innovations, they do take time because there's a lot of layers of decision-making, right? Um, whereas in an SME, as you have just pointed out, often we're working really hard and fast and we're fairly stretched and managers often don't have the resources or the time to dedicate to things like well-being. So our approach is to bring what we've learned from the big corporations, simplify it and really deliver it into the SMEs so that they can keep their staff healthy, mentally and physically, of course, and I'm talking mentally right now because at the moment with the last 12 months, mental health claims and issues have really skyrocketed. Yeah. No, and it seems like a significant duty of care that organizations have you know, at any time, but particularly in this current climate, that having support of a company like yours, especially for the smaller organization, because like you say, the, the big companies, they know this stuff, they've got a lot of it in-house, but also then will work with external parties too. But enabling the littler guys with this type of superpower seems pretty important. Yeah, that's right. And often now who might call us to help them with their well-being or even just their workplace in general. Sometimes in those SMEs, it's like the, you know, the PA or the CEO that's calling to find those solutions. So it really just shows you how under-resourced they are, but also more importantly, how much they need the help. So yeah, our goal is to really simplify it. And also, um, yeah, in small organizations, you can implement things really fast and, and easily. So um, so our thing is to champion the well-being of their organization and to make their people yeah, nice and healthy. And I think a lot of us know, because it's been drilled into us for a while, that it's important that our staff are happy and healthy and that there's general good well-being. And I guess it makes sense that we should all be happier and healthier to be able to do more things. But just to set the scene and to clarify, like what is the role of workplace health and well-being in an overall in a successful company? Going back, so I'll just take you back 10 years ago. So in 10 years ago when we were in the ANZ and working with those bigger organisations, you know, people would come to work, they'd be there nine to five. They'd often have a manager who would directly manage them in more of a hierarchical sort of structure, if you like. And we used to have patients come down to our wellness centres in Pinnacle Health Group and they'd bring their laptop down and they were kind of scared almost, they wanted to be seen to be working because mm. they didn't want to be seen to having a break at work, which was the whole point of having a wellness centre on site. It was a real commitment <laughs> from those big organisations. And so from... 10 years ago where organizations all they would really do with you know fruit bowls flu and fitness mm -hmm. it's really progressed from you know that wellness center model which is those big organizations really having a good crack and, and trying to um, bring it in as a way of talent retention but also a commitment to health and well-being and so yeah the role of workplace health and well-being now there's a, I think there's a few prongs to it the first one is to improve employee engagement and also, you know, in amongst that is 
attracting talent because Gen Z's now are really a high proportion of the workforce now and definitely over the next five years they'll be increasing and really what they're motivated by is an organisation that has a clear purpose probably supports them in some way for their social and mental well-being as well and so for yeah for organisations it's really about improving engagement enhancing productivity of course and reducing absenteeism presenteeism which has been a huge problem and we saw that over the last 10 years where organizations went from that really you know hierarchical model and then into hot desking and now into this distributed working model which is the pandemic where we're, where we're working from home most of the time so there's a lot of new challenges that have crept up in the last 12 months because of how we're working yeah, what does that look like now? Is a workplace wellness program look like where you've got predominantly a work from home type model? Yeah, good question. It's been an interesting time for us, of course, because we've been operating with wellness center programs and also on-site wellness centers. So it's been great. For, I'm going to talk about the positives because I'm a positive guy. But what well, you know, really, it's about for all those wellness programs, we've had to digitize everything. So in the past, we used to actually fly up to Sydney um, to deliver a workshop in person. And now we're simply doing a lot of things via webinars, telehealth, a lot of the psychology sessions that we previously delivered in person are all being done, you know, with telehealth. Things like health checks and flu vaccinations, we had to be creative with using telehealth and gift voucher systems for the pharmacy. Um, and also the skin checks we've had to be innovative with by using some interesting technology with your smartphone to help, I suppose, self-detect skin cancer and then using skin check nurses in, in different ways in that. So we've kind of had to reinvent our workflow, but it's been an interesting experience and we've learned a lot. And a lot of those things now that things are settling down overall in Australia, we're keeping a lot of those, I suppose, those new ways of doing things for organisations and they, they all seem quite happy with it. So it's quite good. Yeah, isn't that funny how what many would have thought as a temporary interim solution during the pandemic will probably become some way, not entirely, but an important part of how everything is delivered ongoing. So it's been a good exactly. process in that sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thinking around mental health, you know, you mentioned that's, you know, of particular importance, particularly these days. Mental health is often something that is difficult to quantify, difficult to measure. And as a manager, particularly when you're deciding on investing in a program, you need to understand the return on investment of things and how like effective it'll be. How do you go about determining the ROI of a mental health program for a workplace? Either have you got any good examples or anything that you could share? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the main barriers to improving health, especially mental health in the current climate and also going forward is actually leadership um, within your team. So the leaders need to understand where the resources are, how to use them and how to, I suppose, make that front of centre for their employees. That's something that each organisation has really struggled with over the last 12 months because if you're leading a team from afar, you basically have to have really great communication with your team members. You have to have a lot of trust there as well for flexible working. And that's obviously going to be a continual issue or thing that we'll need to, workplaces will need to improve on. But in terms of ROI for mental health programs, there's some, there's some good, good data that's come out through the Productivity Commission, which was a report that came out, I think it was earlier this year or last year. And the main ROI for mental health programs is that uh, there's a, $2.30 return for every dollar spent on effective mental health interventions. But more importantly, for small businesses who invest in mental health, 
there's an average return of $14.50 for every dollar spent. Um, and that's been observed in industries like construction, electricity, gas, water, information, media and telecommunications. So that study and the, all those findings were brought about because the Australian government saw how much of an issue mental health was because one in five Australians have reported mental health issues in the last 12 months and there's a huge economic cost on that. So I think now that that information is made aware, organisations will clearly understand the ROI, especially on mental health interventions. Um, and then for providers like well, Workplace, it's really just about us measuring what we're doing. Um, so if that's clients coming to us for say, the employee assistance programs that we run. For us, it's about collecting data from the start and then to the finish to show change and also to try and get in earlier because I kind of liken mental health issues as if, you know, I'm a physio, so I often think of physical injuries and know, know that they take a set time. Uh, mental health issues take a lot longer. for So for organisations, they really need to think of mental health issues as almost like a, a really long-term physical injury with a lot of costs and that'll motivate them to to um, you know to start thinking about it and taking it really seriously but I think those ROI numbers really speak for themselves and an example for you Pete sorry I'm rambling on a little bit here but I just think it's important that the ROI is pretty clear but for an example we had a client last week who called us and they run a yeah an SME about 100 people and one of the directors of the business actually has been diagnosed with cancer and so they are about to announce that to their team and they want to have support in place for all of their staff so that they know um, where to go if they need help to help sort of process it and it's obviously a terminal issue and it's going to be a very sad event for that organization and so the company didn't have anything in place and and now you know us coming in to help them with that to help support all of their staff through that change and that sad news that's probably the most recent example i can think of because it was kind of a left of center inquiry that came through last week but a very important one as well yeah wow that's that's pretty impactful that you can be involved in those kinds of tricky situations that there's not really a rule book for or not really a procedure for, you know, in an organization, but it will have big impact and repercussions for a long period of time with them. So it's good to be able to be involved in that. Thinking from just the ROI point of things, $14 for every dollar that, you know, goes in, that's pretty unreal. Like, So that's like savings by not having attrition or not having presenteeism. Is that what that all comes about? Like in a general sense, like the benefits? Yeah, that's right. So it's all about um, absenteeism savings. So an example of that, just to go into those numbers again. So if 25% of the workforce experience mild depression, that leads to an absenteeism of about 50 hours per person per annum. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that's, it's just interesting to understand the impact of that. And, and I find absenteeism really interesting too. And it's probably one that's even harder to measure now that, you know, as a manager, we used to be able to, I'm speaking very broadly, but, you know, manage by sight and see your staff. They're here, so they've shown up, so they're at work. So they will at least we'll tick a box there. They must be doing well. But presenteeism is where they're actually there and not doing work or not engaged. So, yeah, interesting to see that in a remote from work. That's it. And I think in the in the remote working model now, presenteeism is, um, you know, the I suppose the assumption is that presenteeism has gone down because people are working smarter at home perhaps. But I think now because of time that's gone on, it's 12 months in and we're all working from home still pretty much. The data around that isn't isn't supporting 100% remote working for productivity. It's actually showing that there's probably a nice balance there, which is where we're kind of heading, which is the hybrid working workforce model. 
Hey, just thinking for those at home, you know, in a work from home setting, they've set up their desk on the kitchen bench or wherever they are, hopefully in a dedicated office. But uh, what are some tips or some ideas to help them generally have, uh, you know, better well-being or a healthier workplace within their, their own home setting? Yeah, good question. And I, I'm a physio, but I'm probably not your typical physio because my advice is always <laughs> really basic. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the first thing that comes to mind from a physio perspective, as I put my, my hat on, is that ergonomic setup, I suppose. So people need to be in a really comfortable workstation at, at home. The kitchen, we've, we saw lots of strange setups early in COVID and that's continued. We have people using ironing boards and standing desks and all sorts of stuff. So if you do have a laptop, make sure you get one of those laptop stands to bring the screen of the height upwards and then get a wireless keyboard because at least then you'll have your eyes at the top of the um, and your head in a line with your, your screen and that'll just set you up at least with a you know relatively good posture. But beyond that, you know, if you are working at home, it's so important, I feel, to think about when your energy levels are at your best. So when are you going to get your best work done? And if you're a morning person, I'd be blocking off your first three hours in the morning um, and just basically going in and doing your deep work then, making sure that you lock in some 10-minute breaks in that time each hour just to stand up and move around and hydrate as well. So yeah, simple stuff really, just keeping moving and be sure you're in a great position. And my only other suggestion from a mental health perspective is that at the end of the day, turn your phone off if you can, <laughs> don't take it to bed with you. And if you can, just spend a couple of minutes reflecting on your day and just write down three things that you're grateful for or three things that you're proud of with your day to help keep things in check mentally um, and to sort of celebrate the work that you've done because most of us just sort of cruise through, especially at home, we get a bit tired and we get burnt out. I'm terrible working at home, so I've always been coming in here so I get to talk to other people. You're not lucky like that. Yeah, I think those types of habits need to be built in just so that you can sustain it, I suppose. Yeah, and I'm thinking even for myself, we all hear these things and can even, if someone was to ask us, the advice that I would provide to others would be, you know, around ensuring that you're maintaining your own health and well-being even whilst you're busy. But it can be so easy to just be like, look, you know, I've got 60 hours worth of work to do. And so I just need to do it. And like by taking off time, work isn't getting done. Is there any kind of ways to get your head over that? It doesn't seem logical that if I'm taking time away, the work isn't getting done. So I should just come back and get the work done. So how do you break through that logical thing within yourself to actually make it happen? That's a really common one. I've spoke with a friend uh, last week and she's worked full-time at home for basically a year and she's in a very busy job and she just powers through is her approach but you know over the last few months she's added in some exercise joined a gym locally and started doing that and the outcome there for her was that she would whilst we might have 60 hours of work as you say it's probably more about the quality of the work and so as I was saying before if you can kind of think about your energy levels and when you do your best work and then just really doubling down on that time. And obviously there's other things like prioritizing, you know, how you go about your day and making sure you use some sort of method to your madness. So for me, it's using the Steve Covey's quadrant thing where you're kind of going each day, all right, is this really going to have an impact on my life or my day? And does it align with my goals? So there's stuff like that that you can do. But I think, yeah, if you are someone that are, is working a lot of hours, I think just asking yourself, right, if you've got a list of 10 things to do out of this list of 10, what's the top three that will actually move the needle in whatever I do? Basics, advice, I know. <laughs> 
Yeah. No, and something that I need to keep reminding myself is it doesn't matter how many hours are available, you're able to fill it with work. And normally you're able to then do the same amount of work if you've got a less amount. Of I learned that with kids, isn't it? When you've only got a certain amount of time to get something done, then you just get it done. So I think being more forceful with yourself to be able to say, this is the time that I'm working, you'll probably get the, even though it might feel not intuitive and feel easy to move, if you stick with it, then you'll probably still get it done. Absolutely. Yes, I can relate to the kids, mate. They're, uh, they're hard in the morning and that used to be my peak time, but I've had to change my time around <laughs> to work around them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. And you keep changing too when they change. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Hey, look, last Lynn, to round it out, future trends, thinking around workplace health as the industry or all the way that it's all kind of going. What are you seeing are the trends or what's the future of workplace health look like? Yeah, good question. And um, I'd love to know exactly what's going to happen. But what I can see at the moment are the key drivers of this industry. And it's uh, at the moment, it's loneliness. Uh, so the loneliness pandemic is also a big issue. For that, I think the big trend or the main thing that will drive this industry forward is potentially the use of technology to help monitor your employees that are working remote, whether that is monitoring their emotions by by them filling out, you know, a, a constant sort of feed forward survey that goes to the manager and then the, the manager gets to see a report to sort of figure out where they're needed in terms of helping certain people that might be feeling lonely or depressed. Um, so that would be to really address the mental health side. I think another part of all of this is that we're going to see workplaces invest in well-being a lot more. That's going to be a trend. And I think the spaces that workplaces set up now are going to be really important because if you think about the old office, which was like a sea of desks with, you know, fluoro lights and, and terrible chairs and stuff, a lot has changed in 10 years. And so what we'll see is those old workplaces transform into places and spaces that you can collaborate in and you can get really cool, innovative type work done. So I think those workplaces will become quite experiential and therefore attract new types of employees to work there because they actually want to go in. So yeah, they're the top two that I can think of. The last comment is probably just on leaders as well. I think the type of leader that used to run an organization used to probably be your typical CEO that you might, you know, visualize in the movies. Um, nowadays, it's often the, you know, the, maybe the more empathetic leader that is going to be the future leader of these teams and organizations. So I think organizations will have to invest in leadership development and really, I suppose, develop uh, leaders to be emotionally aware of the different strains and stresses for employees through their employee journey. Amazing. Look, thank you. I appreciate the vision into what's to come in the future. We'll put some details of Well Workplaces and Pinnacle in the show notes from this episode so people can check it out. And there's some good resources on your websites that people can go to to learn more. Uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you if they wanted to ask any questions or understand some more things? On LinkedIn. So just Tom Bosner on LinkedIn and yeah, happy to answer any questions. But thanks for having me, Peter. Appreciate it. Amazing. Thank you for joining. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen. Go make it happen.